And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous starship captain once said, and as another famous starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, We'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always. That's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now, let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. Today we're talking about work relationships, and um, this is again inspired by this week's episode of, um, of Lower Decks. But Larry, I gotta, I gotta say, like, this was not the original um, uh, idea I had. But then you recommended it. I originally wanted to talk about productivity. But you recommended work relationships. And when you did, I was I was like, yes, we need to talk about this because this is something I've been struggling with this week. Um, and before we get into the lower decks, okay. talking about the real world connection here, you know, I work at a very small um, startup team. There's about 10 of us. And um, when I joined the team <laughs> like a week before coronavirus really hit hard in, um, in America, the goal was always for us, we were going to be a global team, but once a month, we were always going to come together for a week. And in person, we were going to do work and then go go remote in person once a month. That's never happened. I'm working with people I've never met in person. And there are other people who have had jobs where now their whole team is remote. There are some people who are um, working as a freelancer or they're, they're working just by themselves. Or there's other people who might not have work and are feeling very isolated right now. So when you brought this idea up, I thought this is perfect for us to discuss because we spend so many hours of our lives working with other people. In some way, they're our most important relationships, but we haven't. You and I haven't really talked about that here, so I, I thought this was a great mm-hmm. idea for us to... Well, explore. I'm glad it's good for you. Um, no, I <laughs> as, you, as you said that, it struck me how, you know, since the, since the pandemic and since all the... I mean, I've had a lot of fun teasing the world about how it's just discovered Zoom and virtual meetings where, I, like, Portal 47, we've been doing that for five years. But mm-hmm. as you spoke there, I was thinking back to when I, edit, when I was editor of the Star Trek Communicator... Which mm-hmm. was the long, which was the long time mm-hmm. official magazine here in the U.S. Long time um, reader, right here. Oh, there we go. So, yeah. but I might even have an issue back here somewhere. <laughs> I know you do. It's a, yeah, they're all over there. Um, no, it's like when when Dan Madsen, the founder of the official fan club, when he was editing the magazine, they were all based in Denver or Aurora, just outside of Denver suburb. When he wanted me to take the reins as they were growing. And I was editor for seven years. It suddenly was not, you know, like an in-office publication, but also the tech and the logistics got very quickly to the point where we could do that. But 
all the years I was editor of the Communicator, we were all over the world. We had, you know, mm-hmm. our art director was in Montreal, and I was here in LA, close to the studios. We had we had freelance writers all over the world. Our press was in, oh my gosh, I forgot. Our press was somewhere, maybe upstate New York or something. Wow. And that's a yawner now, but we're I, this was like 98, 99, 2000. Yeah. yeah. You know, and we were we barely had email. We sure didn't have we couldn't you know YouTube and all that. But we were emailing. We went from FedExing floppy disks to to just emailing stories back and forth. I was I was going to ask how you sent the stories back and forth. So it actually started with FedExing. You were FedExing floppy disks. And when I was printing pages, I would get a big box and I would actually mark up like double full size pages by hand, but they would come FedEx. A lot of times they just, they, I'd have, if I knew it was a delivery day for, uh, I was at Paramount, I would just have the thing sent to Paramount. I was up in archives, like marking pages because we were behind. But it struck me how, and at the time I remember thinking, this is amazing. We're all over the world and doing this job, but this is incredible. How Star trek is this? And yeah. now it's common. I had not thought of it that way until you were talking just then, but it was like, yeah, it was. It's not like, oh, look at me, we're pioneering this, but it's incredible to think that that was because that's where we were and that's what we could do, and it evolved even as we were doing it. And now that, that's ho hum. That's you know, we're not sending hard copy pages. Well, maybe some people are, but you know, well, now we just so, mark up our PDFs, you know, and get them back I'm, and forth. I'm curious about that, Larry. Like, um, because it uh, the same issues that apply to having good working relationships now definitely applied then. So how did you and the rest of the Star Trek um, communicator team align on goals? How did you coordinate? How did you build trust with each other? Like a lot of the modern technologies of Zoom and, and very easy conference calls and those things weren't really around then. So how did you all coordinate and work together? We, uh, we, we had phone, yeah, we, Zoom, conference call, Skype, uh, you know, no, no visual. You would, well, people would tend to like fly, have a meeting, the meeting you never had with your team. Yeah. Yeah. Think would start, like, we would have, you'd have a relationship somewhere and then you would hire in or invite somebody to collaborate or, yeah. you know, or, uh, freelance or whatever. Generally, people would submit either queries or you would know if you just had a relationship. And then, yes. you know, like Dan said, it's time. I want you to edit the magazine. I'm going to step back and do this other. Yeah. And we were all pretty much on the same. We were Star Trek fans. But then, you know, we knew we, you know, things like work ethic and how we worked and all that we worked out. But then we also had our had our um, uh, our own independence, our own way of doing things. Now, what changed was when the game company Decipher bought the official mm-hmm. fan club. That was the thing, because now suddenly there's people in a culture that I, that was a, there was a work relationship schism friction point because suddenly it wasn't our cozy little bunch anymore. Yeah. The culture and Dan wasn't even calling the shots. He was kind of put out the pasture as a, as a consultant. And now I'm suddenly working with people who, who are all, who have been hired by a game company to run the magazine part of a fan of a official fan club with the way that used to work. You know, with mail right. before email right. or before uh, social media. What? Well, yes, yeah. this is before social media. Okay, so that was a lot of adjustment, and I was I was like number two, and all of a sudden I was the number three person, and not getting to just call my shots and not have to answer. I I that's the only time outside of my news years 
in a, a more corporate setting that I had to be corporate. And it was all long distance. And it was people, people that I had either, I'd met on either one trip or not met at all for mm. five years. So I, I feel for you with your, yeah. And yeah, we didn't well, I, I think social or Zoom or Skype or anything. So yeah, you're uh, you're speaking to some things that I think are are, are going to come up in the counselor's log about having um, some sense of shared mission that probably came from like everyone was also a fan, but also was interested in writing. Well, um, a lot of these people weren't. Now, see, oh, when really? I corporate, it was people that I was well before Star Trek. Yes. Oh, yeah, earlier. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, earlier. Like, the things that made you all a good team, that you trusted each other, that you had some kind of relationships with each other, you you saw each other, and then you all had the shared identity and shared goal. Um, I think those are definitely going to be things we keep talking about in this episode. Um, I just need to respond here to uh, Jared. Um, yes, we are both wearing blue. It's not a conspiracy, folks. It's life. We're both wearing life support blue. Um, it's, uh, we both need it today. I think we both need the life support. This has been an interesting week. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I, we, I was going to say we're both in blue because we're trying to support the mystery of that blue species with the, with the, uh, <laughs> on life support, on, on lower decks with on the, lower uh, decks. on, with the sweat back pointy ears, but the like gills in the cheeks that seem to be a brand new right. species that we don't know what they are. <laughs> right. Um, it's our way of demanding answers. <laughs> um yeah larry if i could just vent for a second it's been it's been tough to be a northern californian this week um we have a massive heat wave here and normally when you have um heat this level there's always power concerns and our electricity uh company here has said please please reduce power don't use your air conditioning so normally what you do in those situations, what do you do? You go to the mall, you go to a movie theater, you turn off your AC, can't do beach. that. No, you go to the beach. Right, okay, so you go to the beach. Um, we can't go to the beach because we have we have the most wildfires that are burning in the state in, in history. This, this week we broke the records for the largest, two of the largest fires that have ever happened in California are happening right now. Um... I, I live in Silicon Valley, so we're, we're surrounded by two mountain ranges. Both those mountain ranges are on fire right now. Um, air quality here is bad, so you can't really go to the beach. You can't go outside. It's been um, it's been a tough week, well, and those, I, little, those little wavy roads are all choked off the traffic. There, right, you can't you can't get there because of the yeah yeah. So it's it's a tough week. I honestly have no idea what I'm gonna do with my daughter today <laughs> after life support live ends. I have no idea I'm gonna keep her occupied for the rest of the day. Um, last week yep. we went to the beach and had a wonderful time, but where are they? wherever they are, turn turn to our chat group. They'll we'll we'll mm. get to the topic here, and then I'm sure our we'll chat get to the topic. Yeah, we have, a, have all <laughs> kinds of answers for you. When in doubt, turn to our turn to the uh, live Oh man, uh, when in doubt, turn to the lifers. Um, oh, and Tim, yes, happy birthday. Tim said uh, the fiftieth uh, badge is perfect for um, his uh, upcoming fiftieth birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday, Tim! Happy yes. birthday. May you live long and prosper, and also boldly go. Um, I think that's those are standard Trekkie uh, greetings there. All right, so Larry, Star Trek. That's what the we're topic. here for. Yeah, uh, the topic at hand. So well, I'm, glad this was, I'm glad you're breathing with us still because that's it is. It's I mean, knock wood. It's all up north. 
there's no yes. fires down south. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Colorado, glad. Colorado's having a bad time with fires too right now. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of you know the fires were triggered by a series of lightning strikes that happened over the weekend, but the lightning strikes happened during a time of intense heat and intense dryness that those were driven by climate change. So it's it's extraordinary events on top of a virus, on top of a um, just lightning. Um, so it, it's it's a tough time, um, but. Star Trek always helps me cope. We have Star Trek. So let's talk about that. So um, in this episode of Lower Decks, uh, this is episode three now, um, and there was uh, there were a lot of different themes at play, but work relationships, especially, I would say, two. Um, the captain and the lower decker and um, first, first officer, officer and, and a lower, lower decker. decker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so those relationships were sort of the core story here. So, um, I don't know what more we can say without getting into spoilers here. Um, there was a crisis situation that was unfolding on an away mission as well as uh, ship side, which seems to be the MO for Lower Decks is uh, there's a crisis here that there's like another one on the ship happening. They're Michael Pillar would be so proud. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing A story, B story so well. Yeah. They're doing well, A story. Yeah, 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 totally. It's a return to like, story, yeah. The ship story was, was, was person made. It wasn't like external. It right. was, it was a top down crisis that was a created crisis. Which and you could, I don't know. Could, I, I have a lot of empathy with that right now in the world. I think a lot yeah. of our problems, a lot of our problems right now have been person made. But, yeah, you know, yes. and I and I would argue that it's it, um, the ship-based conflict was one that came out of not the best work relationships, um, especially between a captain and uh, her crew, um, a superior and their um, what are they well, called? Uh, underlings? <laughs> underlings? There's a better word. Crew? Maybe, I don't know. Well, um, I was being generic. I was not in the military setting. But what I, I, I sent you an image because I think we get all... Wa- Maybe you don't want to show it because it's spoilery. But what I thought was interesting is if you reflect on this plot, and there is something yes. to reflect on, it wasn't just that the captain causes a situation, but she's doing it in reaction to... It's that, it's that classic thing on your boss beats on you. <laughs> And then you turn around and you beat on your crew. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? Well, I think, I think I can show this image. This image. The negativity gets passed along. Well, this was interesting to me because it's the, it's like the sitcom where the parents are, you know, the kid comes up and says, oh, come on, dad. And they're like, oh, you're right, son. You know, or come on, mom. <laughs> but like, we see, I we see that, that conflict play out there on yeah. the planet as well. It's all the red shirters, all, all the command. See, this is why we have blue. Blue shirts. We're not, we're not causing problems. We just want to do our science, take care of each other, do some good medical work. Blue shooters, they don't, they don't cause any problems. And do your cat karate jump if you have to. Yes. Only in self-defense though. Only in self-defense. But there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of examples here of, of work relationships that we can dive into and a lot that our community has, um, has been sharing. I want to, um, go back here and highlight some of them. Um, Zahir talked about Bashir and Garrick and their work relationship. Their very complicated relationship. Um, 
It's, it's a wonderful example. Um, Libby mentions O'Brien and Rom, mm-hmm. um, Worf and O'Brien, and Bashir and the bar fight. So there's a lot we could talk about O'Brien this week. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, well, now that he's so famous and all. Yes. <laughs> uh, Libby also mentioned uh, another favorite wor- working relationship, the holographic doctor and himself. <laughs> um, Janeway and Seven, uh, I think that's that's a really fantastic relationship. We can we can talk a lot about. Um, you know, but she, yeah. A lot of these Star Trek relationships, we've been talking about people, relationships, situations, themes, and all this. But when you're talking about Star Trek work relationships, since like Lower Decks, so many of the crews, especially Voyager, especially Enterprise, they're yeah. cooped up. Yes. Um, you know, at least talk about DS9 being the show that didn't go anywhere, but at least they could leave yeah. the station, even if it was to go fight in a war and come back or, you know, explore. <laughs> Next Gen was a little freer. Original series was a little freer. But some of these are especially it's like the work relationship is the only relationship they have. It's like turning it off, yeah. is yeah. which can be another factor of a work relationship. Well, and, and this is this is where um, there's seven, a cl- we go at seven in Janeway. I'm like, when were they not having a work relationship? I mean, they did yeah. to let their hair down. So it's to speak. it's um, there's a lot of interesting parallels to what we're dealing with now and how distant we are from each other. And there's a lot of parallels to um, um, serving in the military and being on a ship that might be far away or a station that's far away, and also uh, to space exploration and being stuck in the space station where. Um, a lot of the boundaries of relationships get blurred where they're also your only social contact in terms of space and the military. But in terms of right now, um, we're so distant from each other and our only in-person relationships for most of us are the people we're with. And yeah, things get are, things are getting really blurred. Here's the problem, though, with Deep Space Nine, Larry. It's what Libby says right here. I think all working relationships on Deep Space Nine are my favorite. Um, yeah, the relationships on Deep Space Nine are always going to win. They're always going <laughs> to win for for everything. Um, and it's, it's so DS9 is interesting, and I sent one. It's not very illustrative, but uh, illustrative. But everything on DS9, like, was baptized in fire. Like, all yeah. the relationships on DS9 were were contentious. If you think about it, it starts off with, you know, talk about the boss on the boss on the boss. Uh, Picard sending Cisco there starts off contentiously. And then Cisco and Kira and and the one I sent, Kira and Bashir, when he's blathering on and she's like, you know, my your your frontier or my people. So glad. Yeah. 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 could help great. you out. Doc. You That's know, every day, O'Brien, just the continual 24 seven eye roll. At everything, yeah. <laughs> Bashir. So you know, it's and, I mean, Bashir creating a pretty hostile work environment for Jadzia. Like it's it, when you rewatch Deep Space Nine. If you haven't rewatched it recently, gosh, it's really hard to not um, not notice all the harassment that that he gives Jadzia. One one more thing I want to mention. It's all that could take it. Yeah, and um, one more thing to mention, uh, we're not alone here in struggling with this, uh, Larry. Jared says, uh, my normal job is the same way, only one-third of my team's in the U.S. I have only been in the room with my boss twice. 
Uh, I, I think Zahir also mentioned in the before times, I worked in an office with hundreds of attorneys. I love the environment of mentoring and being mentored in person. Now we're futzing around with MS teams. I don't like. <laughs> Everything's in Mississippi. I don't understand. <laughs> oh, if you don't know Microsoft Teams, Larry, if you don't, you don't like Skype. You are not going to like. I uh, no. I uh, I've not had to deal with. I've had nothing that uses Teams. I've seen it arise in the era of like, oh, we got to compete with Zoom. This is like, everything. Zoom was like Star Wars, and everything mm. else has been like, oh, we've got to compete. We got to have a sci-fi. Everything else is like Battlestar Galactica, and uh, yeah, yeah. No, I know. Um, black, Libby says. Yeah. Working at home is a mixed blessing. We've had a lot of people quit with no hiring in sight. I can't possibly do all the work while um, I, I, I can't do all the work I'm doing now or could be fired for working unauthorized overtime if I try. I like my job enough, but if it wasn't high risk, I'd be looking for another job. Let you know, this is... Oh, gosh. Yeah. Another struggle of the week. Uh, th- uh, Libby, my uh, a good friend of mine is in a similar situation where um, uh, his work keeps getting downsized and he keeps getting asked to do more and more work as a result. Um, and if it if the economy wasn't what it was, he would leave and look for other work, but you can't. So work relationships, yeah. If your crew starts shrinking, Larry, it is harder harder for you to get. Um, Get the work done. Uh, yeah. My goodness. I freeze or in an overtime freeze. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jared also says this is this is actually something I've heard a lot of. A lot of folks in IT have a history of uh, working remotely. And uh, Jared says, I can tell you that working from home is a mixed blessing. On the days that I'm lazy, I can work from home. However, when things break in the middle of the night, I can work from home, um, which yeah. might make it harder to get some of the stuff done. Um <laughs> Uh, do, 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 do. I'm madly trying to catch up with chat, guys. Uh, I'm also looking to see if we have any new faces this week or if we're just becoming hopelessly incestuous. <laughs> so, um, Linda says, our boss tried to beat us down this week, but our small team rallied to fight back. So, Linda, no spoilers! <laughs> oh, wait, you're talking in real life. Okay. <laughs> um... This is also one of those challenges, Larry. Um, trust is so important when you're working remotely, and knowing where your team's at, you don't have you don't have the quick check-ins you do when you're in person, um, and you're able to just see how people are doing. So it can be very easy to for teams to be uh, in different places. Um, Scott says, Riker and Troy have a very we are flirting this season or aren't we kind of working relationship. That's also something uh, we yes. should drop, dive into. Oh, Zaheer, why did you have to bring it up? Jordy and Dr. Brahms were crushed leading to possible hostile work environment. Yeah, that was pretty awkward. Um, that was not the best working relationship. So, um, Larry, let's dive into some of the examples we um, we want to explore here. Um, should we go back? After I started getting into it, I did this in a little bit of a vacuum, so I hope it didn't throw you a yep. curve, but there are so no. many once you get into it. I was trying to be representative and, and think of all the shows. It's, it's kind of the entire series. The entire series is kind of, or the entire franchise is kind of about this. It's about People working together. 
And you know what? Really, I, I always worry about trying to represent all the series. And boy, I didn't have to worry too much about including Discovery. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This week, talk about work relationship. Now, it's evolving, but if you're looking at the... Just as the pilot of DS9 had all these friction points, boy, Discovery, yeah. I sent you a couple. Yes. Uh, you know, starting off with dumping an inmate in the middle of your crew and expecting things to turn out well. You know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, that... Um, uh, Michael Burnham had a very hard onboarding process. I think it's it's, it's safe to it's safe to say that. And um, this is something that this is something so I think a lot of writers of Discovery. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's true. Um, this is also something that's true very now. Uh, true very now. Yeah, it's true right now. It My is. wife, uh, her team has had some new hires in the last few months. And these are now people that are working, having never met anyone else in person. And my wife's been working with the team since October of last year. She had months before the pandemic occurred. However, these uh, new folks, they, they've never had time on site at all. Their interviews were done online. They're onboarded online. And I think that process of joining a team now, it's kind of like what Michael Burnham experienced, where um, it's very hard to read this crew, know what roles everyone has. Like when she first sees the black badge, uh, where I was like, oh, come on, don't, this can't just be Section 31. No, kind of was. But um, she, she doesn't know what her role is. She doesn't know why she's there, what she's supposed to do. She doesn't know who are the people that are responsible for what. And that experience, I think, really matches what a lot of people are going through right now when they're trying to join a team, having never met anyone in person at all. Well, how many how many people did her tardigrade kill? <laughs> I love the tardigrades. I love the short trek um, with the uh, tardigrade. Mm -hmm. uh, that is one, of, which is now, folks. If you haven't seen um, Short Treks, I think Jared might have mentioned this on the Facebook group this week. Um, but the Short Treks, the recent ones, are now available for free on YouTube. Um, someone can maybe uh, share a link to that in the comments below. They're wonderful. Um, there's a Short Trek with uh, Star Trek Discovery. There's uh, an animated one. There's kind of a stop motion. There's two animated two ones and, yeah. a and like a stop motion one as well. There's one that's a prelude to Star Trek Picard. So go check those out. They're a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Um, Larry, we've got some original series examples as well. Um, which one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> you yeah. sent me that. <laughs> Yeah, the, this topic of work relationships, since we spent so much time developing this theme this week. Yes, we did. Uh, yes, we did. It was kind of, uh, I was sitting there thinking, let's see, if we ever had the, re we were, if we ever had reverse insurrection moment where I was just going to restream a solo camera to everybody, <laughs> something happened to you, or you know what, you mentioned your power. If your power went out, mm -hmm. and I was going to do the show myself with my PhD to draw on, um, <laughs> What would I get to? And no, it's, it is. It's another case of all the examples popping up. And But one thing I tried to do was think of, when we think of work relationships, it's like we always go to the negative ones. 
right? Sure. It's like, well, that's the good stories, so the drama. And I thought, well, you know what? Sometimes there's a there's a positivity also. And uh, some of the ones from Lower Decks veered back into positive outcomes, even though they had a weird road to get there. I, but, I, I think that's a beauty of Lower Decks. It, it, all, it almost always gets there. We're only three sep- episodes in, but it, it always feels like, like it gets there. Like it's a sitcom that's 22 minutes yeah. long. Yeah, Very yeah. Quick. But the, the, the weird road that can happen is, we were talking about Bashir and Dax, there, there have been... You know, when is a workplace crush, romance, affair, disastrous, and when does it lead down this very healthy path that hmm. eventually, depending depending on the rules of the situation, whether that's not good or whether it's allowed, it's almost mm-hmm. like you can have a, a, an off-the-clock off relationship as long as it doesn't blow up. It's like if we can jump ahead, if we can be the prophets, if you can bring your orb of time and jump ahead and see that everything's going to be hunky-dory and it's gonna, you're going to be married 50 years or whatever the relationship is, then it's okay. But if this is going to blow up in a year, don't start it, <laughs> you know? Because we've got the Toms and Bolanas that wind up together. We've got the O'Briens that wind up together. They were crewmates, remember? You know, Keiko was the ship's botanist. And um, there for the for the Arboretum. She wasn't in Starfleet, though. She was a, pri- she was a private consultant <laughs> in Starfleet. But then you've got the ones that do blow up. And uh, tragically, if not, you know, relationship-wise. And I go back to the weddings... Usually they don't show a wedding unless it's going to be happy, but then you start off with the very first wedding, right? Which ended tragically, which is a you know then the yeah. then poor you know Angela is looking for a guy off and on whenever they could write her into a script the rest of the show. But there's also one of the most uncomfortable. Talk about the the uh, HR moments. I always think of the <laughs> the transporter pad when Kirk and Doctor Noel are beaming down, and they have that unco- Oh wait, we met at the Christmas party. Oh yeah, that's so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, kids that have never watched the original series, that was a moment. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty more, but yes. Well, and so uh, I think it brings up a, a few things. Here is one is the very real oh. world. The one, the very real world application of this, which is, um, at one, at what point do you, um, move forward with a workplace romantic relationship and, and when is it not okay? And then also for folks who are working remotely. So if you're, it's not just about the military and NASA and space exploration, but sometimes you might be working in a small town and there might be one very large employer and pretty much everyone works for that employer. You can't really minimize the chances uh, or you can't eliminate the chances of a workplace romance because it might be the only option. And this also often happens in, um, it happens in academia as well. Um, so much of your time in grad school or out of grad school might be spent with your colleagues, and that might be the only place in which a romance can occur. I think the issue comes down to power. Um, do you have power over the other person? Or, um, uh, like a lot of the Star Trek relationships we see, they aren't necessarily in the same command line, although sometimes they are. Um, you know, Worf and Jadzia, like, were, did one person, was one person their superior? Did they have power over each other? Or were they 
kind of in lateral uh, parallel positions. I don't know, Larry. Um, Troy and Riker, you know, he is the first officer, but she also has a lot of different authority. Like, I, I don't know. It's weird. Um, in normal if, workplaces. If they're near equals, it's okay. It, it's not, it, the less, the more power differentiation or status differentiation, the, the not okay. Which yeah. I can see. That's well. Now you're you're almost into a. This is not work. But now you're getting into like the uh, teacher student type dynamic. I was just about to say that. I was just or about to boss, say that. Or, or the boss. I keep saying underling. Is there a negative connotation to underling? Uh, uh. The boss employee. <laughs> the more because if things go sour in both those relationships, if things go sour, then there's the you know awkwardness would be nice if that's as far as it went. But there's the yeah. there's the you know the retribution aspect of it going on there. Yeah, it's um, I have seen a lot of those um, uh, teacher student romances in grad school, and mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's okay. <laughs> it like um, Especially not if, if you are the person's, the faculty's student. I mean, there's a big power differential there. And, and the Me Too movement hasn't quite hit academia the way it's hit other industries, but I, I see that coming and I see a bit of a reckoning that's going to happen there. Um, I have heard just too many stories of uh, people I know who've been negatively impacted by a faculty supervisor who uh, is overstepping their bounds and uh, and all that sort of stuff but it's 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 complicated um, I think it comes it does come back to that issue of power um, um, we should talk about the next generation here kind of moving forward um, and uh, when it comes to workplace ro- uh, relationships the the one that really sticks out to me Larry as like a a wonderful collaborative working relationship is Jordy and Data. I'm actually surprised it hasn't come up in the chat already. But when when we look at these two individuals, uh, not only do they work very well together, and not only do they both um, help each other solve their problems and support each other, but they also have this really wonderful friendship that we see evolve over the course of the shows and the movies. Um, the movies do take such a Picard and Data approach first, yeah. but I do think each one does feature some moments, maybe with the exception of Nemesis. Um, each one ex- has some moments where Jordy and Data, where their relationship continues to evolve all the way up until... Um, the very end with Nemesis. Jordy gets to speak well of him after he dies, but that's about, yeah, in Nemesis. Yeah. Um, well, he's with him in that last moment before he leaps over to the um, mm-hmm. the scimitar. Is that what that ship was? Yes. Good on you. Yes. Yeah. Hey, not the Narada. Not the anything else. The not the Narada. No, that would be a parallel timeline. Well, the Narada exists in the prime timeline, too, I guess. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, it came yeah. from there. It came from there. It was. Like. It did. It, it did. No, um, I, that's fine. I mean, no, like, originally they were the Flyboys down front, right? First season. Yes. They were conceived yes. to be con and ops. And the, but the, the, the duality of that was you, they were the walking tricorder and the walking computer. Right. <laughs> that's, that's why they were, you know... What are, you, what are you laughing? Did I just drop a K3 and did he mean to do it? I, I've never heard that before. 
I've never yeah, heard that. The shorthand that was their little shorthand. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> folks, these are the moments where I feel so privileged to call Doctor Trek a friend because um, I will now never forget that because I love that so That's much. The walking computer, walking track. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use that, Larry. That's probably way better than whatever K3 factor I'm going to have for later on. Okay. <laughs> Apparently. Um, when it comes to Troy and Riker, do you think that relationship was totally okay for them for them to have? Because it, it pre-existed their posting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they first became romantically involved. They weren't on a... Um, they weren't stationed together. Right. right. She was in grad school, I think. He was yes. stationed on Beta Z, yes. yes. Right, right. And then it's later that they're both stationed on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, my guess is Picard or whoever was determining the crew assignments probably didn't know they had a relationship. Remember this. People forget this. Picard was handed Riker. Picard went mm. through resumes and things, but Riker was assigned to him, which has always been bizarre to me. Hmm. If you go back and read the, the you know, read the, uh, listen to the dialogue when he comes in and he says, I am I am told that I have been assigned one William Riker, is what he says. Yeah, you'd think the captain would have, uh, would be able that. to determine, yes. yeah, yeah, who, who, uh, who he wants in, as his number one. Um, so he's assigned Riker. So someone else is really assigning this crew. There's a good chance they might not have known that there's a pre-existing relationship between uh, Troy and Riker. Yeah. And at, at least season one, they try to be, they acknowledge that they have this pre-existing relationship, but they, they're not romantically involved now. Um, in fact, we see other relationships that both these characters have over the course of the show. And it's it's later that their their romance is rekindled, um, and of course we see that they well, get married. Yeah. They also have children. The the flux the, the the polite word for it is creative flux. The realistic word is they don't know what the hell they're doing in the beginning, or they're throwing all kinds of things on the wall to see what stick, and they they come up with that Decker Ilea thread of mm. oh look we've been together oh now we're thrown in. And it's almost like they they give them that backstory, not so much to act on it, but to give texture to as the two of them go off on other relationships to play with it as background. Not that they're ever going to circle back to each other again, which is what yes. happens at Haven, you know, and Riker's all moony faced about her with the guy she's not really caring about anyway. Anyway, you <laughs> see that. And by the time and, and the writing staff is going through, you know, the chaos on the bridge years. And by the time. They get they they circle back to it though as as a touch of a touch point of strength, not mm. that they're ever seriously going to do anything. And about the time they it's like they beat it out of the audience. No, stop! Expe- it's like Chakotay Janeway. Stop expecting anything to happen with these two. Then they go. Then they have the loss. Fourth season, she loses her empathy. She gets it back, and the last scene is they kiss. And you're like, well, no, wait a no, don't what what. And it's actually, you can say, well, that's messy, un, un, unplanned writing. The writers know what the hell they're doing. But that's also life. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You know, anyway. 
Yeah, but it was, I, <clears throat> it was because the two actors kept it going, you know, between the lines unscriptedly. Well, they have amazing chemistry. That um, they came back to it finally because the show went so long that they yeah. made that. Yeah, yeah, no, they have amazing chemistry with each other. I think Scott brings up an interesting interesting point here. Once Troy was out of the uniform after encounter at Farpoint, I always got the impression that she was a civilian. If that's true, then Riker and Troy were more on equal footing. I mean, she wasn't a civilian, but her role um, was a little a, a little different. Demilitarized. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, so she is she is a psychologist by training. She is um, she has authority in similar ways as a chief medical officer does. She can relieve someone of their post for uh, mental health related reasons. She has that authority. She's on she's on the bridge. So uh, she's sitting she there with the first chair. officer. She's got yeah. a third chair. Yeah, which I think just hey as a as a psychologist. Like how forward that idea is that the role of a ship's counselor is going to be elevated to the same importance as a captain and first officer. That 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 was amazing to me. Oh, that's Still so was amazing. Atheist. Come on, that's what. <laughs> you know, we had one of these weeks. We're going to have that theme, but that was in the as the pendulum was swinging from the height of TNG. You know, foam. Back yeah. to people looking at it more critically. Oh, it's so a carpet on the walls and a therapist on the bridge. That's so. Right. <laughs> I mean, that was you know that was kind of the pushback on the popularity of TNG. But anyway, it's interesting that you brought that up that way. So well, it's it, it was a big deal to me, and um, and she's not in the same uniform for a long time, which I actually I hate that, but because she is uh, an officer and she is enlisted. Um, but yeah, her role was, it, it's a little confusing, um, but at least in terms of the power dynamics, you see her on the same level as Riker. She's in, she's in the third chair. Um, so I'm just, I'm just watching the time. Do you think maybe we should, uh, there's all kinds of examples and I'm scanning the chat. I'm way behind guys on the chat. We are way behind. Maybe let's do let's do our rapid fire favorite examples. When my chat has to be handheld and not right here where I could scroll. I uh, yes, I'm just thinking that maybe we should head into the. Let's do. Let's do. Let's do some rapid fire ones, Larry. I want to make sure we cover cover the franchise. Um, For deep deep space nine, there's there's a ton we can dive into. Um, Bottom, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the whole entire everyone any relationship there and <laughs> recurring groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, should we talk about O'Brien again in the context of, of lower decks and relationships here, um, work relationships especially? Uh, I mean, here here's an individual who um, there are times where his real life relationship with Keiko impacted his work as well. There are times where his relationship with Julian also interfaced with his work. He has a relationship with Rom too that also impacts his work. He has a pre-existing relationship with Worf that kind of impacts his work. When it comes to work relationships, O'Brien seems to be um, is it uh, is it Kevin Costner? Seven degrees of uh, is it Kevin Costner? The yeah, whole yeah, thank you. Kevin Bacon, Kevin Bacon. Yes. I feel like oh, O'Brien. It, like we could probably trace back. 
And don't forget the very weird moment when Kira was carrying his baby. Yes. <laughs> the weird massage. That was a weird. That was like a, that was like a not to spoil it, but there was like a there was a Mariner ransom moment this last week. It's <laughs> like flashing back to O'Brien and or Kira. Anyway, I was like, well, okay, that's weird. Yeah. They, what's great about that is they acknowledge how weird it is. They know it's weird. Um, in that episode, they kind of they kind of figure that out. Um, but here's here's my question <laughs> to you. Paris amphibians. Yeah. yeah. Here's my question to you, Larry. What what do you think it is about O'Brien? that um, really allowed him to maintain these relationships, these work relationships, these professional but also personal relationships with all the people that he had. What, what's what's O'Brien's secret here? Good writing? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I think I know. I think it's his, uh, we laugh about uh, Mariner being this way, but I think it's his, his shirt sleeves attitude. He, the fact that he, mm. you know, he'll say it. He's not an a part. Of, he's not an officer. You know, right. he loves the enlisted guy. Even if he's right. the chief, he, might as well be an officer. He's the right. he's the crusty old chief petty officer on a on a battleship. That's got you know who outranks who can yell down any green behind the ears ensign, much less a lieutenant. You know, whatever the lower officer ranks. But not just that. It's just that he has that can do shirt sleeves, roll his eyes, and get on with it attitude. The the I almost did an image of it rather than the the uh, Bashir Kira one, the bit where he and he and uh, Bashir have their first real scene together in the series. I want to say it's storyteller, but they're in the shuttle together, the runabout together, and Bashir's blathering on and on and on, and he's just he's perpetually in an eye roll the whole trip. You know, oh no, sir, and he's having to sir him because he's technically an officer and he's technically. <laughs> You know, he's just, oh, no, sir, it's fine. Oh, yes, okay. You know, no, you're not talking too much. You know, and that's the first time you really, for that relationship to go where it went, that's the first time you see them together, really. And, uh, but that, that's a case of where that could have gone south and didn't, because you never know where, how it So, yeah, I think, I think it's just that, shut up, Miles, just shut up, do your job, shut up and get along. And even when he's bumped up to a higher responsibility, he still he has that. I never thought about it before. It's, ah, it's just O'Brien, eh? you know. O'Brien must yeah. suffer. All the engineers must suffer. Bellana must. Suffer. <laughs> uh, Libby says O'Brien is a kind man, very human. He loves to play mentor with Rom, a good father, a good husband, who acknowledges his faults and a great buddy. Uh, I think you're, you're on to something why here. He's the most famous. Oh no. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I think there's there's something uh, you're onto something here, Larry. Um, he's he's a bit more comfortable having um, hanging out with the crew. It, it seems like, and that's that kind of uh, sleeves up. Um, I do my job well. He's a great engineer. He's a the best transporter chief. Um, the only transporter chief you ever remember. Um, <laughs> but he's, we know he's good at his job. You can trust him with that. But that's, you know, all of Starfleet, everyone's good at their job. And, and that's actually something I really like about Lower Decks. It's like, they are Lower Decks, but they, they're good. They're, they're in Starfleet. Every, everyone's good at their job. 
What's different about O'Brien seems to be um, he's he's willing to take that extra next step and actually spend time and get to know you and and hang out and he's approachable. You can trust him um, in a way that I think a lot of the more stuffy, hmm, you know, like uh, the rest of the Starfleet officers aren't quite as as much. You know what? That just that just made me realize there is no such thing as the O'Brien maneuver. There's no O'Brien maneuver. There really should be. No, I'm what I'm um, saying is when you said these stuffy officers, yeah. you know, Picard, Riker, hey, Kirk, yeah. and uh, all of them. That's the thing. Yeah. But you never saw O'Brien do that. Well, you never actually saw him roll up his sleeves. They're always rolled up. Well, it's which because those <laughs> uniforms you couldn't roll up sleeves. You had to like pre roll. Uh, they had roll to be pre rolled. <laughs> You had to have a pre-roll. Hey, right. you work at the station or not, you had to have pre-roll. Um, but, but no, I mean, that just struck me that, the, the, if anything, the O'Brien maneuver, if it could be engineered on camera, the O'Brien maneuver is rolling up your sleeves, not not prettying your shirt, you know. And yeah, 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 yeah. And he's... I think that's what's what's great about him and why he's so um, such a trustworthy character is he's not afraid to get his hands dirty. He's not afraid to um, to bend protocol a little bit in, in terms of like being willing to like go hang out at Quarks and say a little bit more about what's on his mind. And sometimes, you know, he's also in some ways the most racist uh, Star Trek character when it comes to Cardassians and, and all of that sort of stuff. Can I can I just say something a moment Please. here? Um, and maybe I should save this. I'll refill my coffee, my Rectagino while, while you... Um, I, I feel a sandbox. You're about to get on your sandbox, so uh, right. please. This is please a little, do. a small one, but I also am very cognizant of our time, everybody. I'm still, I'm behind on the chat. I'm still trying to find any of our new folks that are joining this week. Maybe we have none. But no, this, I've noticed uh, these things about as the years go by and things uh, and concepts, situations, characters are reexamined in light of changing times. And uh, this this thing about O'Brien being a racist. Now, I mean, yes, they they created the term spoonheads to be a racist term said about Cardassians. But can I just say, it's what well, it's like Krauts and Nips out of World War II. I'm not apologizing for it, but it's like it's kind of what's expected when you've had a time of war and the other side can have all of its different, especially physical differences, whether it's language or, or appearance or both. But a time of war, I'm not apologizing for it. And hopefully after a time of war, as with the Germans, as with the Japanese, as with the Vietnamese even, you know, those things blend back down, but that's heightened. It's hard to win a war if the enemy is your buddy. And that's not very, that's not very humanistic. But it's kind of the definition of the thing. It's like if you if you're not going to find yourself in that kind of a mental trap against your enemy, then why are you fighting in the first place? And maybe you shouldn't be fighting. I'm not glorifying war. I'm just saying you can't if you're gonna go down this path, sadly, that's kind of expected. And all I'm saying is to come back twenty and thirty and forty years later and to take it out of context. And go, oh, you're a bad guy because you're a racist because you call him a spoonhead. It's like he was learning, and 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 the thing is, we're talking. I'm yeah. talking about World War II. That's you know two, three generations ago. Well, a generation. My dad, my dad's passed now, but 
for a lot of younger people, that's like two and three generations, and you lose track of that. But we're watching O'Brien mere years after set like three. So yes. this is like a Vietnam vet talking about the Vietnamese in the late seventies still. And some of the, you know, there were a lot of political, you know, sometimes things just have to settle down. Something that, what was it? Carter wanted to recognize Vietnam and it took, it wasn't until Clinton. Sometimes the water just has to pass under the bridge when you've had that. But all this, all the talk about looking at O'Brien and saying, oh, he's racist. They were enemies in a hot shooting war where he could have been killed, where he had friends killed. And the fact that we do see him grow is what ought to be focused on. I think that's what Libby mentions here. Otherwise, how can you, otherwise he's inhuman. Otherwise he's a, he's something that's not real. Libby says O'Brien admits his racism and tries yes. to overcome it. And I think that's, that's and a he's key. Part of the, he's part of the growth of, you know, he's not the only one. There are thousands and thousands of other O'Briens. Well, and, and yeah, I think that's what makes, again, O'Brien a character that I love so much is, um, we see when his growth is he's, he's constantly growing. When we first see him, He's an unnamed officer on that battle bridge, right? Um, he's at the con, um, I think, for His the battle bridge. His name is Battle Con, C-O-N-A. <laughs> Which was foreshadowing all the suffering he was going to have in his career. And you know what? <laughs> Bob Justman liked him. I feel like I'm doing a little K3's. Bob Justman liked him. And had him, he's actually running around with the hoop, with the net, trying to catch the Anticons in the sea lay, which was the crazy B plot, you know, a couple episodes later. And then he's like off on a movie career and they liked him, but you yeah. don't see him for like another year and yeah, they want yeah. him to be a transporter chief. So now he was in command red for that. So he could but be up. Front. And he, now when you see him, they want him to be a transporter chief because he can come in and do a scene, you know, and leave. But he has to be in gold for that. So now he's in gold, and it's turnover, and no one knows that whole thing about his rank. He's not wearing anything in the in the first two episodes you see him in red. So he's like he's an ensign or a crewman. We didn't know. And then you see him with one pip, and Riker calls him lieutenant first because that's all he is. They haven't given him a name. And then later on, they give him O'Brien. Yeah, and I don't think he gets miles until he and Cake. I could be wrong. Somebody will correct me. I'm, I'm totally off the top of the head here. He may not be miles until Keiko calls him miles when they get married, or if not, but it's much later. Could He's be. O'Brien for a couple of years before anyone knows what his first name is. Yeah, I think we've got we have so much love for O'Brien, and I'm, I'm appreciating the context you're giving here, uh, Larry. Uh, Robert says O'Brien rose from the ranks, so it's easier for him to relate to others a real NCO, non-commissioned officer. Um, Libby also says that um, there's a lot of examples in Star Trek of uh, when it's okay to be racist. Like, for example, calling the Ferengi little trolls, um, the Ferengi Cardassians Klingons. Um, Star Trek shows us we can overcome our prejudice and work towards it, work towards overcoming it. It's like the song in the musical Q, um, Avenue Q, Everyone's a Little Bit Racist. Um, what? <laughs> I don't know that song. I know the musical. I don't know that song. So we're lucky you, you all avoid um, 
that song for me. But Michael always says, you know, Cisco's prejudice against Nog um, and how how he evolved there. Um, that's a great example. Zaheer uh, pulling out this quotation, it's not you I hate Cardassian, it's what I've become because of you. We really see, um, we see his um, e- evolution there and as Scott, Scott's relating it back to uh, McCoy. They're both meant to be these contemporary human characters um, who are flawed and relatable and and also um, grow and uh, uh, yeah you know I didn't mean to say that he's he's a racist um, I meant to say we see prejudice um, with O'Brien even though he's a character who probably shows the most prejudice in the series he's also relatable and he grows and he evolves here and um, I think that's something that's just so fantastic about this character in a way we don't see with, with, with the other characters they teach you about Ferengis at the academy uh, see exactly yeah there's there's a lot of this and um, Deep Space Nine does a good job in general of showing us um, these uh, the prejudice we see that with the Dominion and the shapes- shapeshifters that was that was a scene, right? That's the pilot scene from Caretaker, Kim and 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 uh, Tom, uh, Harry, Kim, and Tom Paris. And I would have loved it. If, looking back now, what we needed to have was Harry Kim to go, "Oh, did you hear? We got one finally." <laughs> oh gosh! Um, speaking of of Voyager, and um, says, that's my nephew. Yeah, speaking that's your of Voyager. Nephew. I just want to um, I want to talk about Seven and Janeway a little bit, Larry. I know I know we're a little um, we're going long here, but um, we haven't talked about that relationship yet um, in all of life support uh, lives history. Our 18, 19 episode history this is number nineteen, everybody. Yes. Nineteen weeks. We're coming up on twenty. That's it's a lot of weeks. <laughs> you know, this this whole series so that hundred weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. This all started with one canceled panel at WonderCon, and here we are, almost twenty weeks later. It's pretty amazing. Blame um, WonderCon. Blame WonderCon. <laughs> no, blame, blame Corona. I guess. Yeah. Blame Corona. Um, I want to talk about Seven and Janeway because I haven't thought about them as a working relationship until actually I, someone mentioned in the comment section today. I haven't. I wouldn't think of it as a work relationship either. But I think of it's just like bring her back from the. I say bring her back from the dead. It's like a therapeutic pullback that she refuses to let. That Janeway refuses to let go of until the patient sees that it's worth not pulling the tubes out of her arm, you know, kind of, I mean, well, literally in the beginning, but um, she finally embraces what's happening is not a, not a, you know, not a betrayal of her true nature, which I always think There's, is funny because Borg, the Borg aren't a true nature. The whole exploration in Picard about the Borg, it's like, you know, the Borg are all really other things that got yes. hijacked. Yes, so yes, that's yes, just yes. a group. It's like a group collection of, of, victims which was really kind of interesting whether it was like war, people who were you know like veterans of a, not veterans of a war like civilian veterans of a war or people who were all at a mass shooting together who all had different lives but suddenly one event makes them all with a common thread that they never would have had before and usually that's that's it's not like hey here's our collection of people that won the lottery usually it's something bad it brings all disparate people together, and suddenly 
they have something in common. And that's the way I always think about the board. It's anyway. I um I, I love I love the XP storyline and, and thinking of about the Borgs as, as victims and as um as people who are recovering from a massive trauma. I love that I love that storyline. But getting back to Seven and Janeway here, yeah, there's that element of Janeway helping her to become um human again, to be human again. Um yes, there is that element. However, um is that a song we also no, I think that was Beauty of the Beast that I just quoted, the animated movie. <laughs> Gaston, I think, um, talks about wanting to be human again. Um, that might have been in the special edition. That might have been an unreleased song. I don't know. Um, anyways. Well, if you're going to uh, pulling... sing it, it's going to be the very special edition. But <laughs> well, getting back to Seven and Jadeway here. Um, yes, she's trying to... Uh, help Seven to regain her humanity. But what we also see is a character who joins the crew, doesn't understand protocol, doesn't understand who to report to, doesn't understand how to work well with others. And Janeway, who's this manager who really helps her acclimate to the working culture of the ship and gets her to a point where at first she's like, this is so inefficient. Seven's like, this is so inefficient. I can just do this myself. And Janeway's like, that is not how we do this on the ship. We see the evolution of Seven really coming to value why um, Voyager works in the way it does and really valuing the diversity of thought. What, what I love about that is it speaks to... It, it, it really captures a lot of the research on working teams. I think I've mentioned this before in life support, but um, uh, many years ago, Google did one of the biggest studies of what makes for successful working teams. Mm-hmm. And what they found is um, uh, the best working teams are ones where uh, the team, people in the team have made it feel safe to share divergent ideas, have made it feel safe to say things that um, that might conflict with what the majority is saying. And I think that's what Voyager does very well. That's what every Starship crew does very well. That's every briefing room. The captain is asking for thoughts. Why might this not work? Other options. Let's explore everything. It's not just my way or the highway. And Janeway and Seven's relationship is one that it's about that. It's about understanding um, how to work in this larger team. So I never really thought about that until now. Um, But I I, I think it's a great example of of someone developing a great working relationship. Uh, Yes. (laughs) I'm sorry. I was... uh... Catching up on chat. I'm just, I'm just wondering if we should, if we should mosey over to the. Uh, yeah, there's to the there's enterprise in and out. There's enterprise. There's uh, we talked about discovery. There's Star Trek Picard. There's Lower Decks. Yeah, why don't we do that? Let's let's let's. Um, I kind of gave a little bit of a um, of a of a counselor's log there, but let's. Um, you know what? I I, I just realized we haven't said a word about enterprise. Enterprise had. Trip into Paul's emerging relationship, but also 
the oh, the friction points of Major Hayes and and Reed when the Mako came aboard, and they you know you get into fisticuffs there. And I even sent you a picture there from this another discovery when Ash Tyler circles back around to the crew, and the guy he killed is back alive, and they get into a fight. Talk about yeah. workplace relationships. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was awkward. Um, you better not kill me again. Okay. I promise. There's a lot there. Um, yeah. There's so many other, so many examples we could dive into. Um, but um, Counselor's Log, this is where I do a little bit of a deeper dive into the, um, the psychology behind some of the things we're talking about. And um, I gave a little bit of a, uh, uh, I spoke about that Google study, which is one of my favorites. Um, but there's there's a lot more we can talk about workplace relationships and why they're so important. You know, Larry, one of the things that your coworkers can do, they see you day to day. And they also pick up on changes that are happening to you day to day. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the challenges I think a lot of people are having right now is we don't have that regular contact with other people. We're not seeing them. We don't have as good of a read on how they're doing. No wonder the moments. Yeah, we don't have that. Yeah, exactly. And so we're just kind of stuck at home or some of us don't have work or we might be we might be freelancers or entrepreneurs and we used to work, uh, we used to t- have our meetings with other freelancers or we might work in the coffee shop. We, we had other contact regularly with people that we don't have anymore. And one of the things that's really lost there is that regular check-in. It's the times where your coworkers are able to say, hey, are you doing okay? Like, you, you look pretty tired or you look kind of exhausted. Like, what's going on? Is there anything I can do to help? Um, those water cooler moments aren't happening. And that's a... Or the after work water coolers. The, hey, let's go get a drink. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, We're like... Kelly's. Yeah. So much of the support, the social support of, um, hey, let's go, um, let's go to happy hour, let's hang out, let's grab dinner. Um, those are, those are moments that also strengthen a team. Um, when you spend time with someone else outside of the normal context that you see that person, you're strengthening the relationship. That's how we turn acquaintances into friends. That's how we strengthen the the relationship with um, with someone you work with. Um, it's it gives you an opportunity to not only get closer but also solve some of the problems that you might be experiencing at work. So we're not having that. We're also not seeing each other regularly. We aren't able to pick up on when someone might be burning out. Uh, we might not be able to pick up on like, is someone working really late? Like, do they have too much on their plate? Do we need to help them out? Burning out or melting down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, imploding. <laughs> I don't know. There's so many things, so many ways to be struggling right now. So this is one of the biggest challenges I see and where I think the, our story diverges from Star Trek's story about working relationships, um, we're not having that regular check-in or the opportunities to hang out with each other as, as much as we normally would. Um, that's when I, I think one of our biggest challenges, and, and we're going to uh, talk about that when we get to the um, um, away mission, what to do about it. But while before we transition to K3, folks, I would love to hear... What are you doing with the people you work with? What's helping What's helping you to stay connected with them? What's helping you to have a trusted 
team? How are you bonding with your team? How are you aligning with a shared mission and goal? What are the things that you're doing with the, with the people you work with? Let us know in the comments below and I'm gonna put up some of those best comments in, in a moment. But while we do that, Larry, it's that time. It's time to <laughs> turn up our uh, K3 uh, factor here. Yes. And so I think, I, I don't know if we have any new folks this week, but yes, time to dip into the K3 here, which is my chance to do a deep dive from Star Trek background through the lens of what we're talking about this week. Uh, I, I've thrown it, I've also dabbled a little early here and thrown out a couple of them. Uh, we're going to go imageless this week, but uh, I'm going to go back to the original days of Star Trek talking about work relationships, and I don't mean McCoy and Spock. <laughs> I'm talking about the guy who the pendulum has swung from being the underappreciated, uncredited guy who actually gave us a lot of Star Trek concepts through today. Uh, apart from the gurufication of Gene Roddenberry in the 70s and the 80s, uh, but the guy who was like the showrunner under Gene from the middle of the first season, the middle of the second season, which I consider to be like the blossoming of Star Trek, a guy named Gene L. Kuhn. And Gene Kuhn missed out on reaping a lot of the reward for inventing the Klingons, inventing the term Starfleet, inventing the term Federation of Planets, United Federation of Planets, inventing the prime directive as a stated thing. All these concepts were in scripts that he did. Uh, whether it was Devil in the Dark or uh, the Omega Glory. No, uh, Mer <laughs> Errand of Mercy, uh, you know, he either took he either took freelancer scripts and made them work or he had his original scripts and he was a machine. I, I got to ask his assistant how it was that he was just cranking scripts out. She said, oh, speed. <laughs> Before you know, it was Stephen King writes up. about that. Yeah, Stephen yeah, King yeah. Writes was, about that. Yeah, it was just a tool. It wasn't like a drug you abused. It was a tool. But anyway, not that we're, we're not excusing drug use. No, um, no, no. As I'm a just, means of productivity. I'm talking, I'm talking purely historical here, like you know, calling people spoonheads. Um, I'm not excusing anything. But Gene Kuhn has gone from being the forgotten guy who also died in 1973, way ahead of the explosion of you know Star Trek love and attention and you know. Uh, study. He had lung cancer. He smoked, chain smoked for 20 years and then had a huge massive and died just like that. Um, but we've gone from no one knowing him, or oh, that was a name in the credits, uh, appreciating him. That pendulum has swung back to now people, there's a lot of attention, like, well, why did he leave? And at first there was a lot of this, well, it was exhaustion. They were all exhausted. It was his help with, well, he left in 1967, this midway through second season. He, his, his cancer didn't get bad. He wasn't like not breathing until, uh, 73, like right before he died. And he went on and had careers with other shows after that. Then came Bronson and, uh, uh, um, oh, the, the show about the cat burglar. I just come back, um, Monday. I forgot. Anyway, he had a great career, worked a lot of places, did a couple of movies, did a, did a book. What we, this is getting back to work relationships. What's only come out in the last two, three, four, five years was the guy that saved Gene's butt <laughs> as far as being a steady, you know, script, you know, cause Gene was notorious about, Bob Justman talks about standing on his desk to get him to finish a script that they're waiting to shoot, right? They're rewriting. Oh my gosh. 
it's not it's not so much about Gene doing his own scripts as this coherent view of this amazing show that no one's ever seen before because it's all coming out of Gene's brain for good or bad. Yeah. And the rewrite, you know, famous names, well, fame, fine, but they all need to be rewritten, including Harlan, including, you know, name it. Shortly, I'm on location writing scripts. That's why Shortly's a little dicey sometimes. Here's Gene Kuhn that's taken that burden off of Gene Roddenberry, right? And Dorothy Fontana said, well, Star Trek was a success due to its two good genes. What happened? He leaves, like middle of, you know, Trouble with Tribbles is coming down the pike. I mean, all those great second season shows and Private Little War and a piece of the action. It turns out, speaking of work relationships, that as productive as it was, it got to the point where Gene disagreed with Gene Roddenberry disagreed with Gene Kuhn's use of loosening Star Trek up. The humor that everyone loves to point to. And it wasn't just Tribbles. Tribbles was, was a humorous show. But even the humorous moments in the piece of the action, the humorous moments in other shows that was creeping in, Gene Roddenberry, the great bird of the galaxy, got to the point where he didn't appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And they just came to a meet, you know, they came to a, a loggerheads. I think probably exhaustion was playing into this too. But Gene Kuhn decided to step back and people like Bob Justman hated that because he was so amazing and was so reliably cranking these things out and taking other stories and putting the Star Trek shine on them. And he left. But now, did he leave in a huff? No. <laughs> he went to Universal and had to, uh, and had to, you know, only work on the show you're working on, which is what still governs a lot of contracts today. But he had a pseudonym, Lee Cronin, and he wrote another five or six, seven scripts for Star huh. Trek here. And the third season, whenever you see Lee Crow, especially like Spectre the Gun and on, that's all really still Gene Kuhn. The point being here that did he and Gene come to heads and now they hate each other and they won't ever t- No, Gene and he kept the relationship going because he knew he was a great writer. He just didn't mm. want to- and We could argue whether that was, you know, Gene wanted his square-jawed, here's the lieutenant in space, his, his marine show, you know, the square-jawed Kirk. Is that what he wanted for the tone? Would Star Trek be as appealing now if we didn't have all? Oh, by God, the Gene Coon's the one that brought out the Spock McCoy duality and really like rode that. My so, friend, you yeah, brought it full circle back to work relationships. The, the 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 cast loved Gene Coon because he was you know doing that, and and it's sad that he's not a, he was not around to start basking in the Star Trek glow, and you know he didn't get to DC Fontana. And David Gerald yeah. all these years later because he was gone so soon. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, speaking of work relationships, there's a case where the, 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 the golden child of the team, eventually something goes, goes haywire. That happened in second season, Next Generation 2. Tracy Torme was a little bit the same way. Created Dixon Hill, was a golden child, and then he and Maury Hurley, you know, banged yeah, heads. Yeah. And he's still submitted a story or two, but Gene Kuhn's case is, is amazing when you look back now, now that we know what happened there, the fact that they had a great relationship and it survived, you know, the mutual, he wasn't fired, he left, but it, they came to a loggerheads and he said, you know what, why don't you get someone else to do this and I'll go rest for a while. And, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, but it didn't end the relationship is my point. And Gene Kuhn, we have lots more, I don't, you know, 
was his dinette was he in the driver's seat versus riding freelance no but he's still contributing and and uh, you know you know it's it's uh, it's so bizarre to think about right now that he was able to continue writing for Star Trek under a pseudonym. Those exclusive exclusivity clauses and contracts are, uh, yeah, you, as you said, Larry, it's still the way things work now. I've and, I've signed those myself, and yeah. um, there's and no the way you could get away with that now. Yeah, pseudonym. <laughs> the pseudonym was not about his relationship with Gene. The pseudonym was yeah. totally about. For, for the contract, contract, contract yeah. with Universal, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow, yeah. There's no way you could pull that off now. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, that's a good one, Larry. I, I love how it tied back to the theme of uh, of work relationships yeah. and also a story I didn't I didn't know. So uh, away mission today's away mission is going to be about um, how to improve some of these work relationships we all have. And I want to dive into the comments here because we've got. We've got the full gamut of, of experiences here with work relationships. Um, Zahir says, my manager has regular meetings on uh, Microsoft <laughs> Teams. He also sends us care packages with Girl Scout cookies. Uh, great guy. I, um, I love that he has dedicated time to, um, to make sure that they're addressing relationships and then doing something tangible that feels good, that brings joy to, to life. You know, some of the best days at work are when the company feeds you, <laughs> when they bring in some treats. And that's also something that isn't happening as much now. So making that, um, happening that remotely. On the other hand, Libby says, bonding, ha, I just email things to be printed and snail mail several times a day, plus answer questions about things that must be done in the office instead of, um, uh, of from home. At least it's teamwork. Um, so, Libby, it sounds like you're dealing with a, with a situation where it doesn't really feel like there's much of a relationship at all beyond the tangible work that you have to do, um, which is very hard if you feel like you, you don't have that. Tim says, I'm still currently being furloughed from where I work, um, not had any green light or going back to work yet. And I think a lot of people are in, are in Tim's shoes where they aren't, yeah, you aren't able to work. And so, you know, Tim, I wonder about what have your relationships, ha- uh, what's occurred to the relationships you had with your coworkers? Are you still in touch? Has that changed? Um, and, um, and, and, and what is that like for you now? Um, um, Cairo says, uh, don't have any conflict with coworkers outside of video and text chats anymore. And that's really straining at times, especially when coworkers may not react to questions on chat for a day or more. And you need them to, to answer for making progress at work. Cairo, have you been talking to my wife? Because that's one of her biggest challenges right now. Um, so much of her work happened by seeing the person and going, oh, hey, I'm wondering where are things with that? Oh, okay, here they are. Okay, done. Boom. Like a thousand emails have been saved just from that one in-person interaction. But now sending messages on Slack or on whatever platform you have, emails, not getting a response back and like wondering, did the person receive the message? Did they not? Are they mad at me? Are they overwhelmed? Are they stressed? You don't have that in-person contact. Um, Cairo, my wife, is really struggling with that, too. Linda says, my team is fighting back against the suits, trying to cut our essential services in a pandemic. Uh, we will not compromise our ethics for the bottom line. 
they'll lose us all. No union, so we can't strike. Um, Linda, that is a tough situation. Larry, you're about to say something. If I'm not mistaken, Linda's in healthcare. Linda's a nurse, I think. I don't know. Um, but anyway, that's tell. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I had a big, um, I vented massively with my wife last night about what colleges are doing right now. Um, reopening and, um, and in often cases blaming students for COVID outbreaks when, you know, the, the colleges haven't really done the things they need to do and also the irresponsibility I see that a lot of colleges are engaging in bringing students from around the country with different hotspots and different beliefs about uh, safety in the time of the pandemic and putting them together. I think it's a really irresponsible thing and I think a lot of uh, I can also understand why colleges are doing that because they're financially struggling as well um, and I think about all these organizations that we all work for no one's really doing well I guess ex- with the exception of Zoom I don't think anyone is doing well so we're all kind of struggling and uh, financially struggling and that's impacting Microsoft. all of us uh, Microsoft Teams, yeah, they're probably struggling. Lydia says, somehow I don't think did, did that Google study on Teams <laughs> happen to say anything about MS Teams? Like, I, gosh, with the same word, you would think it would be. Uh, no, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> uh, Libby says, um, and my boss occasionally calls, but I've had to ask him to call first, and I'm answering my desk phone via cell phone, and it rings constantly. Boss, boss, occasional emails and update on office things. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the other thing is, like, um, scheduling time, FaceTime, and um, check-ins are sometimes helpful. Sometimes when you've had a whole day of face meetings, it's just exhausting. Um, so, it's uh, it's a struggle there. Um, let's see, I'm trying to capture everyone's comment here. Um <laughs> Robert McLean, back we were talking about O'Brien, Robert McLean said, O'Brien is a brown shoe, not a black shoe. I don't think I've heard those terms before. What, I am um, either, but I, to- I totally get it. What's the distinction here between well, a brown shoe? Well, a black shoe is like formal. Like okay, yes, 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 brown yes. Is like- oh, I get it. Brown shoe yeah. is a shirt sleeve version of a, yeah. Yeah, totally. As someone who... Um, Often just wears brown shoes and not black shoes. I, I love it. I, I totally get that. Um, uh, Jessica says, um, Jessica, is this your first time here? Um, if it is, Hi. welcome. Um, Jessica says, I'm not employed, but I'm currently trying to find creative ways to network for a project, YouTube channel I want to start. Awesome. Um, that That's a situation I think a lot of people are also in, where especially... Um, people who are right out of college or in their 20s is trying to find work in this economy is incredibly difficult. And um, one thing I would stress is like getting back to the idea of work relationships. Who do you know in different industries? Who can you talk to who might be able to give you good feedback or give you good direction about um, what to try? Um, if you're if you're launching a YouTube channel, um, who can you talk to? Maybe someone who's on this on this show about making a YouTube um, channel, who do you know, and um, so you're not 
completely starting from scratch. Um, Jared says, best boss I've ever had sent me new monitors that I still use to this day. Larry, sometimes it's just about... Can I have your boss, Jared? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes it's just about solving some of those stressors, like um, getting your employees a standing desk so they don't have all this back pain um, or a better chair or better ergonomics, um, things that just kind of reduce some of the stressors that they have. Um, that's, that's really sometimes wonderful. Um, uh, uh, Larry, Linda's following up. I'm a nurse clinician, so specialized services. So, um, you definitely had, you are on the, on the right direction there. Uh, Robert says, um, I may be retired, but my wife's support team, um, but, uh, but I am my wife's support team as she works in retail. The customers have become meaner yeah, everyone's struggling so much, and some managers seem clueless at times. But the work, but the floor workers get through it day to day. Wear a mask and remember to be kinder when when shopping. Please be kind to our essential workers who are putting their lives on the line so that we can continue to live our lives. Um, I it's there's a lot of stress right now, Larry. And um, I've seen it happen when I go into stores to get things that we need. Um, we need. We all need to really dig into compassion and patience right now. I think more than anything else. I, I was just, that just got me thinking. I think my gro- most. Of, if I'm out of this house, it's to be ninety percent of the time. It's to be in, a, in our grocery stores, mm-hmm. and and I I tend to think there's times when I almost think people there are more. Are, are very social and people are like actually talk to each other instead of just being, you know, on their way. People get, you know, get out of each other. And part of it's the social distancing thing and everybody feels a little more sensitive about distances, but not to be hyper about it. And people say, Oh, excuse me, pardon me. Even when they're passing or there's a, there's a crowd scene and it's like a car wreck of something going on in the aisle and people have yeah. to get around and they navigate or they're in. I, I feel like people are actually more verbally polite that way than a, but then again, on the other hand, I think once you get back into the big box stores like a Walmart or sometimes people are, you know, manic and they're not doing that. But the biggest thing of that, that I, the longer this goes on, I hope does not fade. Here's mini soapbox. I think in the first flush of things in March and April and May, and they start talking about essential services and essential workers and people start off like thinking obviously about the medical doctors and nurses and, and medical hospital janitors. I mean, it was... It was starting to get, you know, people putting their lives on the line for the rest of us. And then somebody went, well, duh, what about the truckers and the delivery people? And then it, that, that kept going all the way, you know, playing out into, well, the food delivery kids, people, you know, whatever, tip them. They're trying to, you know, and the grocery workers and the grocery stockers. And then it evolved into the farmers, you know, oh, yes, even many of them who don't speak, you know, the people keeping Central Valley of California going to feed the rest of the country and, and wherever. Yeah. And there was a realization that we've gone from thinking the doctors with their three degrees as essential workers down to all these minimum wage and sub-minimum wage workers who are yeah. keeping country going. And this whole revel, you know, realization that when we get out of this, you know, many of whom didn't have insurance yes. in our screwed up healthcare system. Uh, yes, rest of world, I know. Um, <laughs> USA, USA. But uh, uh, first scene of the newsroom, first scene of the newsroom. Go go find it on YouTube. 
But my point here is I thought we were all, a lot of the world was getting, not they, they were opposed to thinking that way, but they just, it was just off their radar. But we were getting sensitized to that. And I thought there was a great groundswell of when we are through this, we have to do something about all these essential workers who we're treating like we could care less about them. Yeah. And the longer we go with this, I think a lot now we're just into, can we just get through this? Can we just get through this? And I was hoping some of the reforms that might come out of the pandemic awareness, I hope we don't lose we don't lose um, touch with some of the things that need to be done. Depending on what happens here in the States in the next few months, I hope we're in a position next year where we can do some more things about, you know, raising all the boats here so that uh, so we can recognize people who, oh, look, they really are essential and not just in a pandemic, but they really are more essential than we've been treating them. Well, I I agree with you, Larry, and I think the um, what we have discovered is the most essential uh, people in our economy in in the United States, at least, are also paid the least and have the, the least amount of protections when it comes to mm-hmm. health care and um, and that type of support. So we've got a lot of work to do um, to rebuild our economy, rebuild our country in a way that does support the people who have supported us. Um, we've got we've got a long way to go there. Um, speaking of supporting people, Libby also says, um, except for the cell phone, I've had to supply all of my own equipment for working from home. I think a lot of people are in that situation, uh, mm-hmm. where they, they don't have the supplies that they need to do the work that they're being asked to do. Um, uh, Jessica says, I'm working on moving past my comfort zones to interact with other YouTubers and learn as much as I can. Um, Jessica, shoot me in, shoot me an email, um, ollie at the psych um, and, uh, I'll send you some, some resources on how to launch a YouTube channel. Um, let's see. Um, I should, I should get to my away mission here. Yes. So, um, and just to say, as you, as you enter your away mission here for takeaways, we have Haley, there's a lot of some comment here that I want to get to, but I want to save it yeah. for, and a lot of folks have said comments further back, and I want to bring them up. But let's save it for yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we're going to open those hailing frequencies momentarily because I got a very quick away mission. So um, here's the thing I, I want to say is for all of you who are working with Teams, hopefully not through Microsoft Teams, <laughs> um, but those of you working on Teams, um, I'm not no digs at Microsoft. I think Microsoft has evolved in a in an interesting way, but I just. Skype is so frustrating to me, and it's the only thing we've got to make this show work. And it work. Didn't used to uh, be that way. No, it used to be so easy. Now it takes like 15 minutes to create a new account on Skype. It's, Ugh, it's, been, it's been Microsoftified, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, away mission for this week is um, when we worked in person, a lot of the support that we had of our teams happened um, unintentionally. Seeing people often get grabbing lunch together, um, the, the water cooler chat, um, happy hours that would be organized. Um, those kind of things really helped us to feel connected, to trust one another, to support one another. We don't really have that remotely. So my away mission is so simple. It's to um, intentionally carve out some time um, to be with your coworkers outside the context of work. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have a Zoom session. 
because we we're also exhausted by seeing each other on, on a video perspective so often during the day. Um, it can be it can be a lot of things. It can be a phone call. Um, hey, how you doing? I just want to catch up. Um, it can also be watching something together. There's a lot of platforms now where you can sync up watching. Netflix Party is an example of it. Um, but there's there's many others where you can uh, sync up and then um, maybe you can just chat with each other. You can um, you can just watch a show together or watch a movie together um, or maybe with your team. This is something our team was doing early on in the pandemic is we were doing um, uh, like uh, fun uh, board game kind of things with each other. Uh, there's a lot of board games that you can now play remotely. You you kind of text the link to each other and you can play these games together. So um, if we don't carve out that time, Larry, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. We can't we can't rely on it just like someone organizing a after hour get together and people going to it. It's not going to happen if you don't carve out the time. So who's the one person on your team that you feel a little bit more comfortable with? And what can you do to spend some time together that's different than how you spend time together through work? Um, that's one of the things that's been found to be a psychologically healthy break. It's when you are doing things that are very different than your day-to-day work. So if a lot of your day-to-day work is through Zoom, you don't want to meet on Zoom. If a lot of your day-to-day work is related to numbers, sharing numbers with each other, you want something that gets you very far away from that. So um, doing something with a coworker that you feel closer to that's very different than the work you do every day that's my away mission for you all this week. Yay. With that, Larry, let's let's open up those hailing frequencies. Yeah. This is a time in the show when we catch up on our comments. We talk about a wide variety of stuff. Uh, Larry, I think you've got some comments to flag that you wanted. Well, to I just wanted to some shout outs, uh, and I and we've uh, we've heavily we actually had some Twitchers. Cairo forty seven came over to Twitch. Coming in, a lot of folks coming in a little later. That's totally fine um, because they'll be the ultimate later when this is archived, obviously. But uh, he came in, he'd come in from his outdoor Trek fan club barbecue meeting. So I'm so envious since you're there in Austria where hopefully things are a little better than we have them here, but you were probably still socially distanced. And, um, but that's our one Twitcher so far. No, nobody's stumbling in. But some of our YouTubers, uh, have gone unrecognized. I just wanted to do a shout out to Starfleet Boy, and he had a couple of great uh, questions. And also to let you know, Starfleet Boy, when I made my comment about the Picard, the, uh, the O'Brien maneuver, and that must be rolling up sleeves, I hadn't seen that you said the exact same thing. <laughs> so <I'm> not- <laughs> but here I am acknowledging that great minds think alike. Okay, uh, just wanted to say that. No. Um, a lot of good, a lot of good folk back. All the different topics we've talked about today. Um, uh, a couple of quick thank yous. I want to just thank you, thank you to Linda who says, uh, Larry and Ali, um, thank you for this lifetime, these uh, crazy times. Um, and then purple hearts. Purple is my favorite color, folks. So I appreciate the purple hearts. Are we um, sure also, you that easily? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I like, um, I love blue. Most of my clothing is blue. I think blue is my color. But my favorite color to look at is is purple. Um, Robert says the two doctors all day fixing the problems of the world rejoice and maybe some coffee. This is what my Saturday mornings have become oh. more enjoyable. So thank you, Robert. I mean, 
<laughs> Larry, this is also like our lifeline too. I I always love knowing that I have this time in the week where I can just geek out. Just like, to have a laugh and sing a song. No, that's Coburnette. Just to have a have a laugh, sing a song, Same drink some coffee. coffee. <laughs> it's that time for life support live. Oh gosh, um, we we've had not had many drinking. You know what? We got into this topic today, and I just realized I was thinking about when I have to make the frame grabs for our. Oh, do you want to yeah. do that? We have to. We that was going to be a thing we were going to do today. Oh, our favorite comment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let me. Yeah, yeah. Our our own lifeline has been so thin. I mean, we've had some thin weeks before, but this has been <laughs> the thinnest of thin weeks. So I'm so glad that we're enjoying each other, and you all are enjoying the show, and us, and each other because this has been the thinnest of the thin weeks. I'll just say. So yeah. Um, but we had a thing. It's become, it's one of those things that just started organically. I started finding some obviously goofy, uh, shots of us to post on the board. And if you're not on the board, you should go join the Facebook group, please. But yeah, we, we're doing this, uh, comment thing. Hopefully my camera will refocus. Oh, come on camera. Um, it's not wanting to refocus on that, but yeah, well, we, we, we wanted to vote on our favorite caption of of the week. Maybe if I hold it here, it'll be there. It's a little bit more. Let me focused, just, uh, but, let me just, um, yeah. Do you want me to just pick one, Larry? Do you want me to pick my favorite, or should I, I pick the so, most? Because we're kind of off the cuff. Yeah, I can okay. it, look. I'm stuck on it. Well, I guess I could do my phone. As long as I'm on stripped down iMac, I can't uh, go to a third device really. Uh. <laughs> I do. Um, uh, there's a lot here. Um, I think my favorite actually comes from Glenn, who I think is not not here today. Glenn, if you are, um, you your comment is my favorite because it taps into something that Larry loves. So, I mean, this image is like Larry looking freaked out and me looking like I'm super excited. Yep. You were going into your uh, lower decks, lower decks. And oh, that's the moment. Okay. Um, I wish that makes sense. I remember that. Um, like, I didn't know you had these spasms, but yes. <laughs> Glenn says, um, uh, Ali is saying, yes, my new, uh, or Larry says, there's a giant Tellarite coming after me. And Ali says, yes, my new hologram projector is working. Um, I love this because I know how much... Um, you love Tellarites, Larry. So that was probably my favorite. Just, but there's there's so many I'm good just ones. I'm looking for the downtrodden underdog. That's all I'm doing. I don't have this like you know pig fetish or anything. I just want everybody to know that I'm just I'm just looking out for those who don't have a voice for themselves. That's all I'm trying. To do. I um I I'll give an honorable mention to Libby's, uh, where she says, um, "Cork drinks for the house. Put them on Larry's tab." <laughs> I like that one too. That's good. Uh, oh, Scott! Scott's got a great comment here. Um, I had a meeting with my new psychiatrist yesterday and referred to Life Support Live as something that's a big source of fun to help me out right now. Turns out he and his husband are big Trek fans, and it opened up an instant comfort level between the two of us as doctor and patient. I don't know if he's here today, but he was definitely interested. Scott, that's awesome. That um, is awesome. 
I'm always glad to hear. I'm speaking of, selfishly only, but that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love to hear when um, there are moments of connection between um, between people that wouldn't otherwise have that connection, and when Star Trek's able to do that, I think that's a that's a beautiful thing. That's beautiful. that happens more and more. A lot of us are from the generation when you had to be in the closet, so to speak, with your fandom. Yeah. Right, yeah, and you yeah. waited to get to a convention before you met. But more and more, if you're wearing, you know, there's there's been an explosion of subtle geek wear. Yes. And, you know, sometimes it screams it in your face. You've got a huge Enterprise or a huge Kirk face on your shirt. But if it's a little, su- I always love the subtle things. Me too. You know, the Me little. Me too. That's why I have things. so many badges. <laughs> well, that's even kind of that's. But I mean, there's like if you're wearing like the Maquis emblem or something, yeah, yeah. or if you're yeah. wearing. You know, I mean, even a Vulcan uh, idic symbol is an not... An idic symbol, yeah, yeah. It's a little yeah, totally. The more subtle, and then when someone picks up on it, like... That's you know, my favorite part. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. When you're when you're checking out groceries and the checker goes, hmm, or anything, or you just meet somebody... Or they might, they might just flash a little... LLAP at you. Um, Tim, you, you underestimate me. Dr. Ali wants a purple lightsaber... I have a purple lightsaber. It's, it's in the other room. I ha- you, you think I wouldn't have a purple lightsaber? Of course yeah. I have Mace Windu's lightsaber. I do. You have a purple uh, tricorder with a pink stripe. No. Okay. We need to, we need to send you a little glowy energy. Send me a little energy. alien who's going to, like, uh, yeah, convert their energy into the, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, with the purple stripe. Yeah. What, where's the battery? <laughs> I love that. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Um, Larry, you got a comment for us that you want to jump into? Uh, no, I'm busy <laughs> catching up. Sorry, guys. Um, Cairo says, uh, let's go to Teller Prime in um, in Lower Decks, uh, please. Cairo is a is a Portal Forty Sevener, and he knows he knows of my soapbox too. Yeah, Harry Harry Judge, who played all the Tellerites of Discovery the first two seasons, we we uh, I interviewed him. It's on my channel on YouTube. Please, everybody, go like and subscribe my YouTube channel. It's got a late start. Um, if you're not on YouTube, you can go over there now. Anyway, there's a there's a interview up with him, and I said, let's start at hashtag uh, Time for Teller Prime. So feel mm-hmm. free to spread that around, guys. Uh, um, knows me too well. Also, just want to acknowledge Rose says um, that she's going to be losing some internet connectivity for a few weeks. So, Rose, we just want to hope you're going to be okay. We will be here when you come yep. back, um, and hopefully, you'll be able to catch up on the conversation while you're away. We will miss you during those next two weeks. Um, Libby says, "I'm looking forward to meeting you in real life when this is over." Um, and thanks to Trek, uh, that very well may happen. Uh, that's one great thing about in-person conventions. I was very shy in high school. And I went to my first convention and found my people. Larry, I think we're... You're a regular at um, at a few different um, uh, cons. Um, San Diego Comic Con is one that you and I do regularly. But you also are a regular at um, the official con at Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek Las Vegas con. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we're, we have to have a panel. We have to have a get together. We have to do an in-person life support live. 
Jared was talking about us meeting up. Um, every week, the location is changing, Jared. This week, you, I, you're taking us to D.C. Jared, we're not having a get-together in D.C. in uh, August humidity. No, thank you. That is nope. not happening. Nope. Um, it's, it's bad enough that uh, that uh, a shore leave is in July in Baltimore in D.C. But anyway. Yeah, this is, this is not... Oh, now he's saying... Um, Dollywood, Tennessee. Jared! We want to be someplace where it's cool. Can we just go to like the Denny's in Juneau, Alaska or something Denny's. right off? <laughs> the Denny's. Well, Riker country. It is Riker country. Interstate um, Cooper? Yeah. Yes, Riker country. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Alaska. This is Riker country. Home of number one. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think... Um, uh, both Libby and, and Jared have, have spoken often about um, having some type of uh, in-person get-together. You know, um, let us know in the... I, I'm very curious in the comments, like, when all this is over, um, where would folks want that to be? Would it be the official Star Trek convention in, in Vegas? Would it be San Diego Comic Con? Would it be uh, Larry? What else is? What are else are some of your regular stops? We have to see. We we have to see if the Star Trek Vegas convention survives this year between creation and CBS and the Rio Hotel or whatever's going on in Vegas. We have to see what's happening. I have a mm-hmm. very strong suspicion that the paradigm is going to be shifting. But uh, but yes, I like this idea. I knew Libby years and years and years ago. We met at either SoonerCon or ThunderCon back in Oklahoma City, where I'm a regular. But um, there's an East Coast convention that's going to have me as soon as we can get going again. Um, yeah, those are San Diego and Vegas and SoonerCon are my three regular ones every year. A lot of times Salt Lake and Phoenix, but um, they're all bearing, those are all bearing west, and um, I'm trying to get back east at times. Sometimes I've been at... Um, a little wonderful convention in Southeast Louisiana called Cyphercon. Shout out to them. They've grown and are on the growth curve. Um, have you ever done Shoreleaf? Hmm? Have you ever done Shoreleaf? And... and it's yeah. been, uh, yeah, it'd be great to be there. That's in July in outside of Baltimore. That's, a, that's yeah, you know, Zaheer so says... Come... Author Mafia comes down and has their... That's kind of like become the, the biggest... If you, if you love your Star Trek authors... The non the fiction yeah. authors, I should say. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because there are other Star Trek authors besides the fiction authors. Yeah. Um, Surely it has a lot of those that's, authors. That's, that's their hangout yeah. every year. And they even they even do big annual events. They all do. Yeah. 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 Zahir says, Come on, it's not that bad in DC. Um Zahir, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's hey, it's not Florida. I'm, I'm waiting. That's true. That's true. Have you don't have time. alligators around in DC, so that's nice. Uh, Larry, quick question from Jessica: um, Do you play Star Trek Online? Yeah, I have no idea. Do you? I never. Okay, I never have because I'm not a gamer anyway. I was a gamer, an arcade gamer, and then I never liked home games because I hated joysticks. I know we're way beyond that, but I just never did. The kids <laughs> do, but Star Trek is a different thing, and in Star Trek world. The games came and went when they were computer based, you know, and, and all that. And they were, you, they people get excited. Some of them were bad and not good, not playable. Online is incredible, is wonderful. I've meant to at times, and then for a few years, I was talking to them about 
being part of some kind of like, um, you know, like virgin game event or something where it's like, hey, here's Larry learning, you know, like and, and tie in and do that. And that was an idea for a while and it just didn't happen. And now the game has gone on so long that I don't know about I, I know it's obviously meant for people to jump in at any point and play, but I just never have. And then Adventures has come along. I see it's it's a paper and dice, uh, excuse me, tabletop. I called D and D paper and dice game for years because there was no term. But Star Trek Adventures has come along uh, as the latest incarnation, and people who never, you know, tabletop gamed before, did role play gaming before, uh, are excited about Adventures, Star Trek Adventures, which is a licensed paper and dice game, role play game for Star Trek. So no, I'm so to answer the question. Uh, I'm not. I've been next door. I totally love the fact that they've got in-house continuity that goes out of their way, and I totally appreciate the fact that they got blown up by Picard, which I totally mm. was expecting to happen. Despite all the closeness, they're trying to interlink all the you know licensed affiliated comics and novels and all that, but there comes a point where you just can't. So, uh, no, Linda, I haven't. Um, a lot of folks are saying that San Diego Comic-Con has become too expensive and too hard to get into, which I definitely acknowledge and understand. Um, Tim and a few other folks are saying, uh, what about, uh, those of us in, in Europe? How about a destination Star Trek event in Europe? Um, yeah, I mean, speaking of expensive, that's a little bit harder for us American folks to get there, but uh, we would definitely love that. The European to, Star Trek fans. We need to get a sponsor. We need to get a sponsor, Ollie. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely need a sponsor. We have, that to, would be, this, we have to be business-like about this. And have yeah, that's a good idea, Larry. Um, that is a good idea. Um, uh, Cairo says, you just reminded me I didn't need to log into Star Trek Online to hang out on Ryza a bit more. That sounds great right now. Little Jamal Haron by by can't by Zoom by remote. Uh, oh man, uh, Robert says perhaps Dr. Ali can help Larry with the sphere of joysticks and home gaming systems. Yeah, Larry, I would love to. Um, uh, gosh, you know what? What I would love to play with you is Star Trek Bridge. Br- uh, is it Bridge Commander or Star- the VR? I don't have a fear of joysticks. I have a disdain because in the old, a Ooh. joystick, a handheld joystick could never keep up with an arcade joystick, which couldn't keep up either. Any game well, sat there for a week and it was broken where you could never have the sensitivity of a, you know, much less. I never understood how you were supposed to. I want that sucker nailed down so I have leverage. I never understood that, but it's not about Well, that. Larry, did you ever play the VR game? The VR game of what? The Star Trek VR game, the bridge, bridge. No, something. I did. Well, there was a generic game that was basically doing Star Trek, and then the, they sold the license and developed it. What's the? What's the? They they go around and set up at conventions, and I finally got pulled in and played one of those once, just recently in the last year. I think it was the Albany Northeast Trek Con where I did. Well, there's there's a game released. I think it's on PlayStation and also PC, um, where uh, you're you're basically a bridge crew. Right, and right. um and you there's no joystick you're you're like using the controls and you have to oh, work I together. Keep, right, right, right. No, yeah, I mean, it's a ton of fun. Um, I'm talking about the evolution. I uh, what did I just see here? Um, no, Scott says, "How about doing it in Southern California and tack on a giant truckline trek? Just make it a we." He's he's basically doing a Jared here. So we should just not be part of a bigger event. Just have our own mm-hmm. event. 
you know, I've always, always had my retreat weekend. And um, yeah, I think I mentioned um, this a a week before, but um, uh, Vasquez Rocks, my friends and I, uh, my friends and I who play uh, Star Trek Adventures, we were um, we were going to have a trip out to Southern California and go to Vasquez Rocks uh, back in um, June. Um, and obviously that didn't happen. So, um, I always wanted to make my trip out there. Jared is moving the site again. Life support, live retreat, um, Mendenhall Glacier, uh, Juno. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> really? really? On the, on the inland cruise, we, yes. 10 years ago uh, this summer, I, I was blogging about my trip to Barrow, Alaska, where Will Rogers, my, my hero died. And about all the threads I've seen between Will Rogers and Star Trek, it's especially through McCoy's eyes, but in general. But that trip Larry. was like a lifetime to me. By the way, Libby, I have also been to Crater Diamond State Park in Arkansas. Just so Robert know. says, I actually managed an arcade in the Bay Area called Star Treks back in the day. Robert, I think I went to that arcade and I liked it because it said it sounded like Star Trek. So... Maybe you and I have crossed paths in uh, the previous timeline there. Um, I remember that arcade um, as a kid who grew up in the Bay Area. Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Alimatu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Psych Show. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. 